Hello everyone, I hope you are doing well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen and I want to welcome you to our Futurist Blue podcast, a place to discuss about Europe's economic and policy-related challenges. And this is a Funcas Europe and Agenda Publica initiative. And we hope we can bring in new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Futurist Blue podcast. And today we're here to cover a topic we are seeing more and more in the news. And that is the surge in commodities prices. And what does that mean for Europe's recovery of the corona crisis? So today I'm joined by Raymond Torres, Funcas Europe director. Hello, Raymond. Hello. Uh, Raymond is is talking uh, is joining us from Madrid. I think is that right? Is yes, that right, yes, Raymond? indeed. This is this is correct. All right, and and also joining us today uh, from uh, a bit far is uh, Lourdes Casanova, who's Gail and Rob Cañizares director and senior lecturer, Emerging Markets Institute at Cornell University. Hello, Lourdes. Hi. How are you, Carlos? I said I said far because Lourdes is is in up. Upstate New York, close to Canada. Is that correct? This is correct. A beautiful area, very cold, but uh, yes, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> All right. So thank you both for joining. And uh, since the start of the year, uh, the world economy seems to be witnessing a significant increase in a wide range of commodity prices, as well as lags in the delivery of key inputs such as semiconductors. So we are once again hearing comments about a so-called commodity supercycle. And, and let's remind our audience that a supercycle is an extended period during which demand drives prices well above their long-run trend. So, Ray, Raymond, uh, let me ask you uh, straight away. Is this something transitory? or we indeed are entering a commodities supercycle? Well, the first thing to say is that uh, this is something real. Uh, the commodity price index has increased 27% since the pre-crisis level. So it's not, of course, during the crisis it declined, but there has been a surge uh, over the past uh, five or six months, more or less, with the result that we are talking about 27% increase vis-a-vis uh, -vis the pre-crisis price level. In some cases, for example, industrial import prices have increased 44%, even more. Plastic prices, 60%. So we're talking about uh, a, real, a real trend here. That said, I believe that overall, it's not a super cycle. I believe we're talking about adjustments in terms of uh, in, uh, the a situation where prices had uh, been very low during the crisis and supply chains had to be reorganized. And therefore we're talking overall about uh, a transitory phenomenon, even though if not well managed, it can lead to a, a, a super cycle. So I think the question is still open. Overall, I tend to believe we're talking about a transitory phenomenon, which will lead to more inflation by the way. But uh, in the over, uh, you know, over time we should see uh, the price increases abating and eventually leading to a more sustainable path. So, uh, uh, Lourdes, the, the trend is real, as, as Raymond is saying, but, but Raymond thinks that this is not a, a super cycle. Do you agree with that? Uh, yes, I agree. Although I should add, I don't know. No, one's no, no one knows. 
<laughs> but within uh, within commodities, usually uh, we look at oil, copper, livestock, and grains. And I would like to talk about oil and copper. So regarding oil, we are in a completely different situation than 2014, for instance, the last time that the barrel of oil was at $100. We are now in about $60. That varies a little bit. Let's say $60. Very good news for exporting, uh, so for countries exporting oil. And we have a number in Latin America. And we have, of course, Venezuela, but also Colombia, Brazil, Mexico, and others. So very good news for those countries. But as you were saying, Carlos, bad news for those importing countries. And you have Europe, but you also have India or China. What happens with oil? What are the differences between 2014 and today? The difference today is electrical vehicles. So let's think that, that in 2014, when we had oil at 100, 300,000 electrical vehicles were sold per year. We, in 2020, a very bad year, we had 3.1 million. And uh, in 2021, we expect 4.5 million. We don't know, again, some, we don't know uh, what represents directly to oil, but some say, you know what, this is about 1 million barrels of oil less sold. So oil, I fully agree with Raymond. I don't think we are going to enter any crazy prices. Again, uh, no one predicts uh, the oil price, but my opinion is that we may stay 60, 70, back to 60, something like that. However, if we look at metals, let's look at copper, for instance. Copper is key for uh, house construction and also for electrical vehicles. So that's a completely different ballgame. And definitely in copper, copper is already one of the big numbers was $4.5 a pound, and we are now around $4 a pound. So yes, copper is key for electrification, for uh, anything that has to do with clean power and clean transport, and definitely uh, copper could stand for a, a super cycle. And definitely countries like Chile. Let's remember that Chile's big uh, mining uh, copper companies, Codelco, that is still state-owned. Um, Chile went through a tremendous privatization uh, um, wave, but didn't uh, privatize the biggest uh, copper company in the world, Codelco. So definitely for Chile, for Peru, but also other countries, US, China, etc. And if you want, I say a few words about gold. Okay, just a, just a final a final comment about gold. So we have a complete yeah. picture. Yeah. So gold prices have gone down because gold has other dynamics. The gold is when you have a lot of instability in the economy, gold prices go up. And what has happened when the the gold prices went up last year, but this year have gone down around 17% because we expect, we hope so, I cross my fingers, 
of a recovery on the economy yesterday. IMF predicted a recovery, global recovery of 6%. So then when things go back to normal, why to buy gold? Let's play with the normal mechanism of the of the of the of the economy from housing, buying houses to invest in the stock market or bonds that re, uh, interest rates are going up a little bit or the dollar has gone up this quarter. So definitely uh, gold is another story and may not go back to the prices of last year around two thousand dollars. So some commodities are going up, other commodities are going down. Uh, each of those uh, sp specific uh, uh, products have their own dynamics, as, as Lourdes explained. And, and Raymond, what are, what's the implication of this uh, mixed picture for uh, uh, the, the struggle of, uh, of the European Union to fight and to emerge out of the COVID crisis? Well, the, the first thing I would like to add to what uh, Lourdes said, and then I'll talk about Europe, is that um, one of the key elements here, which will determine whether we're talking about super cycle or not, uh, is whether uh, supply will be reactive to the price changes. So in some cases, maybe copper is, is one of the cases of soja beans, which is helping Argentina, is, is one of, of the, another example. There may be a, a number of constraints which may lead to a, a super cycle for some commodities, actually. Uh, because if the world economy recovers strongly, as the IMF predicts uh, with its latest uh, economic outlook, uh, then we, we may be talking uh, about two-tier uh, of high price increases for those specific commodities. But in other cases, for example, containers, as you know, uh, there is a big uh, increase in the price for containers or, and therefore mar maritime transportation or uh, some uh, supply chain related uh, commodities or, or goods like semiconductors. Here, there may be a reaction in supply and, and of course, oil as well. Uh, and, and therefore, it's very important to see which commodities um, host the, uh, the, the possibility of, of uh, a reaction of supply, which I believe will be many of those. There will be a reaction in supply, which is why I don't think in general terms we are talking about uh, a super cycle, but even though in some specific cases that may be the case. Coming to the impact on Europe, I think Europe, in many, in most of the cases, we're talking about uh, a region which is not a producer of those commodities or those goods. Even in the case of semiconductors, most of those are produced elsewhere, in particular in Asia. Uh, and so in the case of Europe, we're talking about uh, negative terms of trade shocks. In other words, this, is, uh, this comes at a bad time, I would say, in, in, the, in the case of Europe, because uh, Europe started later the recovery vis-a-vis uh, the US or other places like China in Asia, uh, Israel, and even the UK, because vaccination has progressed faster in those places than, than in Europe. So we're talking about a delayed recovery, but that recovery is not only delayed, but it may be also uh, impeded or slowed down to some extent because of the commodity price increase, because those commodities are not produced in Europe. So. The main impact in the case of Europe is not going to be, to be so much in, the, in, in terms of inflation or even though some price increases may, may happen. Uh, and we, we may see inflation over 2% for a while. But really we're talking about uh, this is the kind of force which is depriving Europe from revenues uh, because you have to import those goods, those specific goods which are absolutely crucial to the recovery. And therefore 
it may slow down the recovery a little bit vis-a-vis -vis what would have been the case. So I think overall it's not a good thing for Europe, even though for other places like, uh, as, as Rudis was mentioning, some emerging economies, some developing countries, it may be a favorable trend and therefore indirectly also good for Europe in the sense that it may reduce the risk of a crisis happening in those places in Argentina, I was saying before, for example. So Lourdes, do you agree that this is a bad, this is bad timing for Europe, considering it's importing most of those commodities that are, 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 are seeing prices go up? Uh, I fully agree with Raymond, what he said. And uh, well, here we have a lot of geopolitics. As you know, uh, President Merkel of Germany agreed with uh, so it's, it seems to be favorable of pipeline, the famous pipeline bringing gas from Russia. So this is go going to give some more bargaining power to Russia. In Spain, for instance, we received the, the gas from Algeria. So we are uh, here uh, uh, definitely not into the uh, Russia doesn't come into play, but others as well. So what happens here also if prices go up is that Again, geopolitics, Russia has is going to have a number of bargaining chips with uh, Germany and other countries. So uh, these things happen. So then uh, you negotiate as China does with Angola and other countries. What they do is that they, okay, I build your the highway or I build the train, but then please uh, you will supply with oil at a fixed price for that many years. So. Uh, countries and, and, and much more so those with uh, are exporting commodities, finding bargaining ways to negotiate with others. So yes, uh, this can be bad news to, to Europe. But then again, what uh, uh, what Raymond was saying is that Spanish economy very linked to Latin America. So. Uh, since this is good news from Latin America, then maybe that will be positive for Spanish companies and the Spanish economy. So it's, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole uh, uh, number of variables that we have to take into account. And uh, yes, it can be for those importing countries, it's definitely not very good news. But it's a moment for big negotiations with different uh, partners. So, so Raymond, I'd like you to react to that in terms of the, the balance of power between the main uh, global economic actors. Uh, what, the, what are the implications for this uh, post-corona world we are entering into? Yes, I think the comment of Lourdes is very, very interesting because uh, uh, I think indeed you, one, one needs to broaden the discussion here at this point and, and look at the, the trend about commodity prices in the broader picture of uh, uh, a reordering of globalization. And um, commodity prices is one of the elements um, and indeed, uh, those countries and those producers of uh, commodities, which are absolutely crucial to new technologies, to digital technologies, uh, like copper, for example, or some other metals, or to uh, the green transition, to the energy transition, those countries which uh, kind of are more uh, uh, are specializing those commodities will, will be uh, clear gainers in, in the future. So this is one of the elements, but I think more generally, there's also a reorganization of supply chains. So it used to be that Asia was, in particular China, was a factory of the world and other places, in particular the US, but also uh, in many cases Europe, not all, but uh, for example, Spain, 
um, would be rather specializing services uh, and much less in, in terms of industrial goods. And, and this is the crisis and the COVID crisis has led to a rethinking of whether this is the right strategy, especially in some sectors like vaccines or health, but also in, in terms of technology production. And it's quite an irony that there is a shortage of semiconductors, but Europe does not produce much semiconductors. And so this may lead to some uh, rethinking of uh, industrial policies in places like Europe, but also I understand in the United States, we will have to see how Biden you know, uh, proceeds. It seems to me that this is one area possibly of a certain continuity vis-a-vis -vis the preceding administration, one of the few areas of continuity, where the new administration too will try to reconfigure the supply chain, uh, taking into account the importance of new technology. And, and making sure that there is at least some production, some strategic production of new technology. So this, um, uh, what we see now, this kind of very visible uh, increase in commodity prices reminds us that we are witnessing uh, a new configuration of globalization with uh, an end result which is unknown at this stage, plenty of challenges and opportunities. And I think this is also a reminder that the multilateral system has to react to this in ways which avoids uh, nationalism or protectionism, which would be damaging for uh, the, the, the world economy, but particularly for developing countries. Um, and so how to balance at the same time the strategic interest of different places with the need for um, you know, multilateral, a multilateral system, relatively open multilateral system is probably one of the biggest challenges we're facing. Um, is globalization moving forward after Corona or is it going backwards? I'm saying this because Raymond was pointing to some factors like uh, we've seen a level of disruption in supply chains in the last year and we've seen tensions uh, that have emerged due to the scarcity of some medical products such as vaccines or masks. And there are more and more concerns about a reversion of globalization precisely for those fears of, of losing control of key sectors, of key products. So Lourdes, do you see a, do you see a trend in this regard? The other day I was uh, reading an article in the New York Times about uh, pre, I don't know, 5,000 years art from Iran. And they were saying, you know what? The eyes were uh, made of precious stones that were uh, not from Iran or I don't know which country, but from very, very far away. Globalization is unavoidable. We all need to buy coffee from Kenya and Vietnam and uh, tea from India and oil from uh, Saudi Arabia or Iraq or uh, Angola or Brazil. Mm -hmm. So uh, globalization has to go on. We, we need, we have always, trade is, has always been there in those countries that close themselves are countries that definitely become poor at all levels. However, and uh, Raymond is right, however, um, we let's remember that we have all US, Europe, Japan have always protected their agriculture, uh, their agriculture, because no one can think, okay, how can we, we cannot eat because there is no food. So agriculture has been a sector that we all agreed that need to be protected because we have to eat every day. That's one thing. However, I think manufacturing has gone too far and guess what? 
the pandemic arrived and we had no masks. We had no masks for a very simple reason, because all masks, all masks are manufactured in China. All of them in China was very radical in the initial lockdown, so they couldn't send masks. Then at the end, if we put special trains and we received the masks and everything. But so, and then as you are saying, vaccines, uh, I believe 50% of all the vaccines in the world are manufactured in India. So this is not, uh, so we went for, uh, we, I mean Europe, US, we went blindly for the short-term profit and we said, you know what, doing uh, medicines, so from vaccines to masks to uh, to blenders to to everything is cheaper to make them in, in in the other part of the world and we are fine. Guess what? We are not fine. So this is going to be reorganized so from efficient global value chains to resilient global value chains. However, this is not that this is easier done, easier said than done. Super. And uh, we have been uh, monitoring this. And yes, Apple is saying that they are going to manufacture the the, the iPhone also in uh, in India. And Samsung is saying that they are going to also manufacture in India. So diversifying the uh, the parts of the global value chain. But uh, we have not seen major, major, major moves yet. They, they should happen. Yes. Will they happen very soon? No, I believe it will take a while. It will take a while because uh, China is not only cheaper, still cheaper, but also has an impeccable global value chain, provided, of course, that the Suez Canal is not blocked. But uh, it's, it's very important in, 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 in uh, not only that, but logistics by train, by sea, by everywhere. So definitely, uh, it will take a while. We are kind of uh, hooked to uh, this easy way to uh, maximize uh, profits. Definitely, iPhone is a very Apple is a very clear case, and it takes a while to move uh, plants and uh, and to reorganize value chains. So yes, it should be done, uh, and yeah, and yes, this is not the end of globalization. We all need to buy and sell, and oil and commodities is, are a very, very clear example. So, Raymond, the final comment before we close. I think it's very interesting what Lourdes is saying about uh, not to question the fact of, of, of the need for globalization, but rather the need for readjustment. Uh, do you share that view? Yes, yes, completely. I think that, uh, the, indeed, uh, as Lourdes was saying, this is the challenge, is really to... Uh, reorder globalization in a way which um, still continues to be an open system because we, we we do indeed benefit from from exchange if you think about development of countries from south korea to um uh, let's say you know some some other asian countries like the philippines uh, i think nobody or even india you know we where uh, since liberalization you you have seen quite of an expansion in, in the economy, so I think it's quite clear that there are benefits to to open markets, especially I would say for developing countries. Uh, but at the same time, the need for uh, maintaining the strategic interest of uh, different partners, and I think this is something which uh, we should not not underestimate the difficulty from both the conceptual level in, in terms of rethinking the multilateral system and also at the practical level of how to apply it in practice. 
Luckily, we have a new leadership in the WTO, and I, I read with a lot of interest, I'm sure Lourdes have seen it as well, some of the statements uh, of the new Director General. And I think it's full of hope in terms of indeed how to proceed uh, in that way. We need other parts of the multilateral system because one of the problems uh, has been a certain imbalance between economic and non-economic organizations. This needs to be uh, changed as well. Uh, and let's hope that's the case. And the pandemic is certainly a reminder that we need to move, to move quickly in, in the direction of an open but secure and resilient, I think the word that Lourdes used is, is pretty pertinent as well, resilient uh, globalization. We've come to an end. Uh, I think this was there was lots of food for thought. I want to thank thank you both. Thank you, uh, Lourdes Casanova, Galen Rob Cañizares, Director, Emerging Markets Institute at Cornell University. Thanks a lot for joining us today, uh, Lourdes. My pleasure. All right. And Raymond Torres, Funcas Europe Director. Thank you, Raymond. Thanks very much. Have a good day. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers to talk about Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe and Agenda Publica initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and the production of this podcast is carried out by Franco de Ledone. Thank you all. Thank you.